today on Ignite Agility, we're going to be talking about pull versus push. And my guests are Rand Eaton, accredited Kanban trainer, and David Nielsen, certified less practitioner. Rand, why don't you tell the kids a little something about yourself? Well, uh, I have been interested in Kanban for a long, long time, but probably in the last three years, I've gotten serious about actually getting some education around it. And so I am what they refer to as an accredited Kanban trainer, which means from uh, I've, I've got a certification, the ability to teach from the governing body of Kanban University, which is one of uh, several governing bodies out there, but it's the one that uh, is generally looked at as kind of the, the, the where it all started, right? So um, AKTs have the ability to train and certify in a couple of specific courses. Um, so that's been kind of my focus for the last year or so is, is training on Kanban and getting other people involved in this, which is always fun, right? Because people go, oh, you're, you're talking about Kanban? Let, I want to hear more about that, right? There's a very strong interest uh, in it. And part of what I think we're trying to do is, is get that interest to turn into something where they actually are doing it. Hence <laughs> this podcast. So back to you, Angela. Well, now we need to hear from David and a little yes. bit about his credentials. Sure. Hi, Angela. Yeah, I'm David Nielsen. I'm a scrum master. Uh, I actually took my scrum certification with Angela. She's a great trainer. It was uh, about five years ago. Since then, I became CSPO. Through, through her as well, and also took the Certified Less Practitioner training through Craig Larman. And uh, since then, I've been working on a less implementation. Um, and in doing so, um, have learned a lot experimenting with less. Um, but primarily, I'm a Scrum Master. That's my trade. I focus on teaching Scrum and um, been doing that for about five years now. And and yeah, so here to uh, excited to talk about Scrum Kanban, pull and push, and all the different terminologies that are out there, and maybe we can come to some uh, better understanding together about what that is. Right. Sure. And one of the conversations that um, we were having prior to just like let's just hit the record button was around uh, some of the misinformation out there because. To David's point, if you just Google, is Scrum push or pull, you're going to get a bunch of answers. You're going to get a bunch of people who very dogmatically say, well, it's a push system. And then you're going to get a bunch of people say, no, 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 it's a pull. And then uh, your experience with large-scale Scrum and its founders, Craig Larman and Boscota, have published a lean primer we were referring to that talk about your very experience with it, David, where you got pretty excited about the teams you're serving uh, enabling more of a pull environment rather than push, which was kind of the impetus for this call. Can you say a little more about that? Yeah, absolutely. And thanks again for having me on. So wh what I meant by that was is that, well, it, it, if you look at the definition of, of the pull versus push from like a supply chain management perspective. Uh, there's a pull when a customer has an order. When a customer has an order or a request, work begins. In a push system, uh, work is completed ahead of time in anticipation that the customers will be there. It's like keeping the, the store shelves uh, stocked with goods because you believe you're, you're speculating that the, their customers will come in and buy your product. 
maybe it's a Black Friday or something, and you put out extra TVs, right? So um, when that translates into software development and large-scale Scrum, well, um, let, let's start without large-scale Scrum. When you have different, let's, I want to contrast it with like uh, component teams that may complete their component, but it, there's um, a downstream receiver of that code, and, and then they need to do their part. That would be a, like a multi-stage uh, push pull, right? So they're they're saying I'm going to complete my part, and then this other team is going to pull it in, right? So you push work to them, and then they pull it in. Um, so your customers, whoever that downstream person is, or the downstream team, in large scale Scrum, all of the it, it, it's 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 in the definition of large scale Scrum that um, and Scrum in general because less is Scrum, that you have cross-component, cross-functional feature teams. So there is no component that is created for another team to pick up, right? The customer has a request, comes into the product backlog, and we pull that into a sprint. It gets completed and shipped directly to the customer. Um, but I can tell you in practice, uh, to get to that point, usually you know, an agile practitioner will be dealing with uh, component teams who will do their chunk of work, maybe because they're contracted to work. Let's say they're contracted to work through what month is it? It's October. Let's say through the end of October. But the actual request from the customer is they don't need it until Q2 next year. But we only have funding to keep this team through November. So they're just going to complete some work, put it on the shelf, which, which means they're pushing it to the next component team that might not pick it up in finish it all off in Q2. So, so I think that's in my mind how less achieves more of a pull system because they're, they're, it'll, it assumes there's no handoffs, that these teams are like Scrum, are, are cross-functional, cross-component, and, and, and don't have a, a, another downstream person to hand it off to you other than the actual customer. And I see the Kanban guy patiently waiting to jump in. <laughs> so we'll give Rand a chance to jump in here. Well, and, and this is why it's fun. I mean, the, you got to be careful with what you read on the internet, right? Because this isn't necessarily Apple's. Well, well why don't you so say that again slower for the kids you, listening at home? Kids, you need to be careful of what you read on the internet, right? <laughs> Not everything out there is, is true. <laughs> Sometimes it's even intentionally not true. <laughs> anyway, um, but so there's, there's different agendas to Kanban. And one of the agendas is the team level, but another one is a services level. So, you know, much like large-scale Scrum is interested in sort of how work is moving from customer to, to output, that's, that's one way that Kanban talks about this thing. The other thing that's uh, a little bit different is Kanban has no sort of intrinsic view of teams. Um, whoever is doing the work is really not what we're worried about. We're, we're tracking the work itself. And so to David's you know, earlier comment, when we're, we're throwing work into a system, Kanban wants us to make sure that the system is indicating there's capacity to pull that work in. And so the classic example with this is like if you're going to order a coffee at Starbucks or Caribou or something, um, the barista doesn't have several pre-made coffees ready to go. They're going to wait until they get an order from a customer and then they will pull that order into their queue to begin work, right? That's that's essentially at the, at the level that we're talking about, uh, a pull system. So, you know, yeah, there's a lot of overlap there. There's, there's a lot of yes, there's a lot of no. 
Um, and I think, you know, as we were talking before the, the uh, recording as well, semantics plays a lot to do with this, right? So what words we use, what words we don't use is going to drive a lot of this conversation. Well, and if, um, you know, I were uh, somebody newer, just tuning in and saying, oh, I think I'm interested in this topic. Wait a minute. Is a pull system good or bad? Is a push system good or bad? Um, I don't think that's what anybody's trying to say. It's, it's neither is bad, neither is good. It's, are you making the right choice for the type of work? Are you making the right choice for the problem you're trying to solve? Yep, absolutely. And, and that's, that's what I was going to go next is if the, if a pull, you know, what's the difference between a pull and a push, but then which is more valuable in some cases. If um, anybody's seen that famous movie with uh, Lucille Ball, where they're wrapping the chocolates, right? That's one of the, the videos that we show in our classes a lot. Um, that's clearly overburdening, right? There's a, there's a point where there's way too much more chocolate coming down the, the row than they can handle. That's what can happen in a push system. And the theory of pull is that we're going to be taking work in at the capacity of the system, whatever it is, right? Person, place, or thing to actually process that work. And, you know, this goes back to the, the Toyota production system mothership like that everybody, everybody loves to sort of point fingers back to. And that was one of their big changes is that rather than push systems, which is how an assembly line usually works, we're going to wait till we get a customer order and then build to demand. And that idea is, is sort of what is brought over into Scrum, brought over into Less, brought over into all these, these other approaches too. No, David, anything? Oh, yeah. I just wanted to second that, um, yeah, what you search on the internet about Scrum being push or pull, yeah, there's a lot of uh, misinformation out there. And uh, to Angela's point, you know, uh, pull systems are not better than push. Push is not better than pull. There's, I think there's clear use cases for each, you know, um, you know, uh, Black Friday, or, you know, maybe that's not going to be a thing anymore with COVID. I don't know. Right. But, but looking backwards, though, I mean, a pull system wouldn't be efficient for selling physical TVs when you know your store is going to get bombarded, right? Um, and you're going to have a lot of people coming in. You want to have this, the shelves stocked, right? Mm-hmm. But translating that to, you know, software development or product development, um, it, it – I've seen it work. I guess you could draw a corollary with Steve Jobs. He would say, I'm going to push what I think the customer wants. They're not asking for an iPhone right now, but you know, I, I, I'm Steve Jobs and I, I happen to know the, you know, what everybody's going to have in their hands 10 years from now. So we're going to do it. <laughs> or you look at it as an experiment because if he pushed mm-hmm. that out there, nobody bought it. Or people bought it and then flamed it on the internet. This is crap. I don't like touching it. I want to go back to buttons. Then, you know, that experiment may have driven them to adapt differently. But their experiment was an overwhelming success. And then the people over at RIM who made my beloved Blackberry Pearl, (laughs) 
Pour one out for the pink phone. They, they, you know, had such a mindset of, we tell everybody what their phones are going to do. Does does David know that whole background? I don't know if David knows about the pink Blackberry Pearl. I'm quite certain I had it when he came to my CFM. That might have to be another whole podcast in and of itself, (laughs) is his relationship with her Blackberry Pearl. (laughs) <laughs> I uh, I bought another one off of eBay for the parts when uh, who, who, who when Rim supported it. Okay, who bought well, another one? Somebody off? may or may not have bought me one off of eBay <laughs> for the parts. But now we're getting off topic, and thank God they had inventory, right? Indeed. But but David brings up two points, and I think they're I think they're an interesting little sort of adjunct to to the needs of a pull system. One is customers. Right, you need to have a, a fairly direct line to who's actually wanting your stuff, because if you don't, if you have that delay, if you have that gap, that's where the push model makes more sense. Right to to David's point, if if we know people are going to buy TVs for the Super Bowl, then yeah, it makes a ton of sense to use economies of scale and and stock up. Right, but you know, as we get kind of away from that in terms of working directly with a customer. The, that is an important piece of it. And the Kanban crowd especially likes to talk about, they want the actual customer. So if, they're, if there's somebody that's requesting some software or requesting uh, a latte or whatever it is, you know, we want to hear that directly from the customer's mouth. The other part of it is the, the other side, right? So the feedback. If we don't have a good feedback loop to indicate our actual system capacity, we might actually be overproducing. And so, you know, the, the classic example of this is like if you walk into a restaurant and all the tables are full, the correct answer for the restaurant owner is, I can't seat you right now. It's not that I'm going to try to seat you with one of these other 10 tables. Uh, we, especially in the Midwest, hate that, you know, but that, you know, there's a finite capacity of this system. And once we're at it, if we try to shove more into the bag, uh, then that's where the problems start to start. So, we need, a, we need a good understanding of the actual system capacity. We need a fairly direct line to the customer. And we need the team to understand that they are the ones that are, you know, have their hand on the switch that's driving how work moves. Right? Fair? Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and part of the, the holy war we were having prior to the call about Scrum versus Kanban, you know, from a, a Scrum perspective, it gives you the bootstrap to do these things. There's there's this container called a sprint which forces you to limit your work in process. And you're you're constrained for that work in process by the capacity of the development team, the number of days in the sprint, and they are pulling items from the product backlog onto their sprint backlog. They're not doing it, you know, as they go, they are certainly loading up the bucket. However, during the sprint, if they get their goal accomplished, they are more than encouraged to pull more in, right? You know, every sprint becomes more about delivering more value, not complacency, right? So I think that the challenge is that if, if people say, we tried Scrum, it didn't work. Well, it works, asked and answered, why didn't it work for you? Well, we want to try Kanban. Okay, great. What's your work in process limit going to be? What are, who is your customer? What did you... And then they look at you like you got three heads. So if, if we're not prepared to answer these questions at all, you know, when I hear Rand talking about, well, we want to get as close to the real customer. We want these things. Da, 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 da. 
they need to know those answers. There is no bootstrap given to them to try to, to get to that. They have to know the answers to these questions. Mm-hmm. And if they don't have them, then what, Randall? What's going to happen then? Um, well, then that's where that's where the sprint starts. So again, according to the Kanban crowd, that's where the sprint starts to work against us because yeah. we have a two-week limit that we said we're going to commit to deliver this work in that time frame. To your point, Angela, you, you need to have the, all the answers the team needs to have to get this thing done. So what starts to happen, and I think most scrum teams out there have, have run into this at least once in a while, is you're trying to get an answer and the end of the sprint is approaching. And now the, the correct and what a coach would tell you is that, okay, you need to make a decision, right? You might make the wrong one. You talk to the product owner, product owner, what are we going to do? In other words, there's, it's not that you sit there twiddling your thumbs. No, there's opportunities to adapt. Right. Right, but the end of the the end of the time box, if we're using the time box correctly, is is going to be fixed, and so the the initial conversation, the initial vision of whatever that work was, is going to run into this barrier, and so what Kanban says is, well, work takes as long as it takes, and you know there's all sorts of things we put in play around like when to pull and how much and all this sort of stuff. But we're not constrained by that artificial time box saying, okay, at the end of this thing, I got to show something. So that's another sort of nuance, I guess, of, of some of this. And David, did you have anything else that you wanted to share from your particular case study or current work environment where you saw you know, the effects of the teams pulling that work in and the effect it had on the overall product in terms of the value that they were able to deliver with each sprint. Yeah, absolutely. Well, from what I saw, and, and first of all, uh, three out of our 11 teams are Kanban. So we do have three Kanban teams. Those teams are, uh, they, they perform um, infrastructure tasks, uh, DevOps tool upgrades, and you know, enabling other teams, and then uh, performance testing. Mm-hmm. We're, we're working to get those those teams, those capabilities built into the other scrum teams, and those are ongoing conversations. But I did want to color that picture. But with the with the feature teams that we have, um, once we moved from scaled agile framework, where each team has their own um, five sprint long backlog, you know, produced for PI planning, and, and when we moved from that to multi team product backlog refinement, that enabled the other team or any of the teams to pick up any of the backlog items. Mm-hmm. Um, once, once we made that flip, it was crystal clear about what a team could pick up or what could they pull in if they have open capacity. Before, it was very unclear um, for teams when they did have open capacity about what they could pull in because there was all the work was already sitting on other team backlogs right right so it's like you you have to go like awkwardly say hey can i take that work off your plate can we do a tra- uh, a knowledge transfer and then that team's like oh i'm i'm busy i can't do a knowledge transfer right now this is painful that's just like a microcosm of the of the issues with that system so once we had um, no work assigned to future sprints to teams they're just in a common backlog um, they can, and it's prioritized by the product owner. The teams are much easier. It's much, um, much more able to have a, a pull system in the middle of the sprint where they can go and find what's the 
what's the production defect that we want to fix the most this sprint, you know, or if you have capacity to pull it in, or, right. you know, those sorts of things. It's very simple for the teams to do that. And I think with when we had, you know, team backlogs for a PI, it was just really difficult to negotiate that. It was just you'd have to set up a meeting and all these things had to happen. So kind of well, I think that's the epitome of turning it into a push system yeah. because, you know, once at the beginning of five or six sprints, you're flushing out all this detail and then it's assumed that it won't change and that this is what they're going to get at the end of X number of sprints. Yeah. PI planning is like two thirds of a good idea. <laughs> two thirds that's yeah. specific well <laughs> that's a d i'm trying, I'm trying to become more pedantic for the podcast you know but um no the, you know the idea of getting all the teams together and saying okay let's look out into the future and see what could be happening and all the dependencies and stuff like that it's like that's awesome but then to angela's point to then lock that work in uh you know that that's like wait what um so no, that I I'm, I'm totally with that, and I think that's that's another thing that uh, you know that that time box, which is funny, right? Because in almost every case when people say the word scrum bond, what if you dig a little deeper, what they almost always mean is is scrum without the time boxes, and you know it's almost in hmm. sometimes. Well, that that's for me. I mean, when I when I dig a little deeper, I, I almost say, well, we drop the time boxes part first. Like, okay, well. How's that working for you, right? When I dig a little deeper, they show their sprint backlog and say, see, we're using a Kanban, but we're doing Scrum. And then I say, no, that's your sprint backlog if you're doing Scrum. What okay. value are you getting out of using a Japanese word that you don't understand? And then they go, oh. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I, oh, go ahead. Yeah, Sorry, no, Rand. I was just saying, that, that's the that's mm. you like kind of phase phase point five of this sort of stuff is like understanding the the power of visualization and things like that. But um, but yeah, go ahead, David. Yeah, I was, I was looking at, um, I was looking at them side by side, the, the, the scrum Kanban and scrum bun. And when you, when you look at different elements of so rules, the board, the roles, the iterations, plan routines, uh, prioritization meetings, you know, um, all, all these different types of elements. When you go from, Scrum to Scrum bond. For my analysis, you pretty much lose all everything that was Scrum. You're really just doing Kanban, and right. it, I, I like if if you go to Scrum bond, you're really implying that, well, okay, we're not going to have sprint planning, or, you know, because sprint planning, uh, you know, is is saying it, it's a it's a specific activity where you load up the next sprint of what you think you can get done. You're pulling in work from the backlog. I would say it is sort of a pull system, mm -hmm. and um, but but that's regardless of the point. I think my point is is that Scrum bond isn't even a real thing. I don't I don't really believe it's a real Thank thing. Thank you I'd for, love for saying so that in the category mm -hmm. of don't believe everything you read on the internet. Correct. Mm -hmm. I'd be happy for someone to prove me wrong and describe mm -hmm. how you can run Scrum bond without violating the Scrum principles and, and rules and framework and roles and and yeah. all that. But yeah, it's kind of a There's mess. A there's a book, um, not Corey Lattice's book, but there's another book, um, David, and I'll, I'll find the title and I'll get it to you. It's, it's not bad. It's, it's you know, certainly not what we would want people to do, especially given that there's better options, you know, like less or things like that. But, you know, there is a, there is a legitimate book called Scrum Bond that talks about kind of a, 
a middle ground, right? But, but wasn't so your he point, so horrified that people just read the title and didn't actually read the book and tried oh, to make it into a thing? Yeah, yeah Corey's, Corey's book. Corey's book, absolutely. If so, so kids, if you don't follow Corey Lattice on Twitter, <laughs> you absolutely should do this because he is like actively telling people not to buy his own book. L A D S L A D A S lattice yes lattice yep no and and he's very clear that this was this was like my case study of a point in time that is so far long gone now that this this is probably not going to matter too much at all. Um, there's another book though, a more recent one uh, called Scrumbon as well. Okay. I'm going to have to check that out. And I'm, I'm willing to be proven wrong. And maybe I am just oh, no, completely I'm, wrong and I don't know. It. I'm, I'm not advocating at all. I'm just pointing out that there is, there is a book that's trying to put a little more rigor around uh, um, that, whatever that middle thing is. But anyway, back to the poll thing. So, um, you know, yeah, the, the idea that the team doing the work is pulling the work based on their availability is, you know, Hundred percent, we can all agree that that's that's one that is a poll system, um, and I think one of the tweaks that that I've seen Scrum teams do is they'll just add a whip limit to their you know current work because there's a lot of that scrummer fall where you know teams will do one story and then the next story and then the next story and then mm. the next story that kind of thing and so you know yeah there's all sorts of little tweaks you can bring into it from both sides but ultimately it's still just are we are we limiting the work in progress that we're we're dealing with? And Scrum does that in a couple of different ways, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, I I would say that's a good point. You know, I have you could implement a whip limit within the sprint itself, like ho- however much you have in your in progress, like to to maybe uh, encourage uh, swarming on on certain items. But it's not a scrum rule to do that. It's if the team feels like, hey, we shouldn't have so much work in progress. It's causing us to slow down overall. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Then, then that, yeah, I could see that being really helpful. Actually, it's the beauty of a self-organizing team. Nobody's going to tell us how to do the work. So. Right. Yeah. So putting a bow on this little cage match, there is no cage <laughs> match, right? Between I'm bloody push versus the mo- pull. The most uh, stand-up cage match I've ever been. <laughs> so neither is bad, neither is good. Context matters. What else? What else would you bullet point this with? Um, well, and I think you know certainly, certainly as as anti patterns go, um, the understanding the role of the product owner and and sort of what they do with the work versus what the team does with the work, I think is really important. Um, because, you know, yeah, the, the product owner owns the backlog, the product backlog, but then the team is the one that does the pull, right? So, you know, to Angela's point, she's 100% correct. If the team says we need to do item A, B, C, and H, they can totally do that. So I think understanding that though, we've certainly seen examples of, of organizations that are like, okay, team, here's your backlog for the sprint, get to work, you know, and that is not a pull system. Right, right. It's like, how much, how much can I make this poor overworked team get done in the next sprint, you know? Um, it, it, yeah, it's, there's definitely has to be a feedback mechanism, say, you know, alerting, 
the requester of when the the queue is full uh, or, or when, when they you know have capacity I should say when they, there's capacity in the queue to pull in more work without that feedback mechanism whether it's the um, I've, I've been I've joined organizations in the past when I joined the sprint planning as a scrum master new scrum master just listening in and it was very much like that it was like here's all the work you need to do this sprint and the team was not um, feeling the psychological safety to say to have that feedback loop and say hey we're, we're actually overloaded or that this is completely impossible to get done and you know I looked at their sprint velocity or committed versus actual over the past like you know six sprints and it, it was like committed 100 points delivered 25 committed 100 delivered 30 <laughs> and it was that's that's a push system whatever way you want to slice the cake and I agree with you 100% there and and um, well, yeah, that, if we mm-hmm. if we especially if we make a metric like you know ad, adherence to adherence to delivery or something like that, I've seen in places where they're like, you know, here's what you said you committed to, and here's what you actually delivered, and they track that over time, right? It's like, come on. Um, so yeah, there, there's all sorts of anti patterns around this stuff, and I think honestly, that's where a lot of the misunderstanding comes from, is is people that are in the midst of those anti patterns going, well, you know, no, I'm, I'm being told what to make. Why, how is that a, you know, how is that pull versus push? It's like, well, mm-hmm. if you're being told what to make, I got bad news for you. <laughs> oh, and you know, this, this you, you just made me think of another thing. This also comes up in release planning. So how you do release planning can be a pull or a push. We can either say, we're going to have all of this for the next upcoming release, or we can say the next what can we pull in for the next upcoming release, right? Whether you have like a, a regular release schedule and you, you pull in the the tested code that meets the definition of done, you pull it in and add it to the release, or whether you approach release planning like, all right, we have our November release um, and we committed to, you know, these 10 features and we're working to get them all done. Um, and, and if we can't get it all done, well, you know, we'll either have to delay the release or, or something like that. And I, I think, um, I think, you know, that leads to the death march situation and, uh, you know, trying to avoid that. Uh, I think it's an, this is an important conversation, not just for sprint planning, but release planning. Uh, that's kind of the point I was trying to make there. Yeah. Well, and, uh, for, you know, since somebody was interested in semantics earlier, you know, release planning is the concept from extreme programming. Scrum would just call that refinement with the development team. And so the the danger, somebody asked me about this yesterday, you know, the danger between pulling these things or mixing and matching. Well, if we look, you know, at what extreme programming also said about releases, small, as small as possible. So what wasn't intended is some of these gargantuan six month, 12 month, releases, right, that a former project management or current project management environment trying to call themselves uh, scrum or scrum teams or scrum scrums or whatever. Um, So all they're doing is coming at that planning cycle the same old way and then loading all that up or pushing all the work into that release. Whereas the challenge for them to really change the way they think about that is, you know, the smallest uh, release possible that would add value to that customer or whoever the end customer is, right? Qu- release as quickly as possible without sacrificing quality, of course. Right. 
Yeah, and and Kanban really even takes that one step farther because what they try to do is decouple the build from the release process. So, you know, yeah, we can build things all day long, but the customer, because we're in a pull system, right? The customer might choose to pull things as their availability sees fit. And so you you get to the point where the you, you might have a board that showed, okay, well, here's our flow and then work is at this point. But then now work is basically, back to David's earlier example, that that finished work is now technically inventory for the customer. And the customer says, I'm going to pull this item, this item, and this item and, and integrate it or get to work or whatever. But by decoupling those two things, now we can have... Um, as much time as needed for both of those things, right? Because Scrum is a great way to build stuff that then the customer in theory should be able to take back in. But a lot of times, you know, we don't have that sort of end-to-end conversation. It's really just what's my backlog say I'm supposed to be working on. So back to that communication with the customer, I mean, it, it, it's on sort of both sides of, of the um, upstream and downstream. All right, how do we want to wrap this up? Any, thought, any thoughts? Because you guys thought of a bunch more stuff after I said if we were going to put a bowl on it, here's the recap. <laughs> oh, so you can I'm always edit that you. out and move it to the end. <laughs> I think I'm good. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, I think it really helps uh, when you're talking about Agile and Lean and in all of these terms, to really know, have a full understanding of what is pull versus push. Are they good or bad? Not really. There's not, you know, they're not inherently good or bad. They just have different use cases. And it's been really fun, to, you know, discussing this with, you know, a, a Kanban trainer. And, and I learned a lot of things just going on Google about all these different misconceptions out there. You can the first result at Google says that Scrum is a, a push system if, if you want to believe Google. so you want a yeah, lot of fun, uh, just Google, I hate Scrum. <laughs> <laughs> or I hate Kanban. <laughs> right. No, and I think that's, the, that's certainly the challenge with all this stuff, right? Is like there's, there's the intent and then there's sort of what people are getting paid to say. Uh, and, you know, going back to the Scrum Guide, going back to, you know, first principles, all that stuff, which I think Craig does an awesome job doing with all the less stuff, right? It's, it really is. Look, if you're serious about this, this is how, this is a, this is a way to go about it. And that makes a ton of sense to me. So, so no, it's, it's not a, this is right. That's wrong kind of thing at all. It's really just sort of like, what have you tried for yourself? Right. And, and again, this is another podcast that we could have is, is the context current, right? So are you doing things that make sense for your organization, not sense for somebody else's organization? And, and Kanban supports that, right? you it's just, let's do what we're doing and then keep an eye on it. So cool. Well, no, thank, this has been fun. Thank you both for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yep. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Angela. <laughs>